What's up, True Nation? LC, National Director. We got a great show today. Uh, really excited to, to bring on our guest, Peter Murphy. is actually an employee of True Lacrosse and a director in Chicago. Peter's got a really, really unique story everybody needs to hear. Uh, all aspiring athletes need to understand the adversity he faced and uh, why he had such a positive attitude on anything. Uh, we, we dive into some of the best defensemen uh, of all time. Uh, it turns into a really great discussion with Peter uh, as he joins the crew, uh, and so, so much more. Uh, excited to get fired up today. What's up, Jake? Got a podcast, Mike. Nice, Mike. LC. Do I sound closer, like clearer, right, like now? You do. That sounds, that sounds actually pretty good. Yeah. Nice. Does that have one of those spit covers on it? Yeah, yeah. So multiple people can use it. Yeah, I like that. This is the one Brian sent. I was like, yeah, I'll take a look at it. So you should put your Corona mask on that. Dude, I just did. I just did an interview with my college coach. He had his mask on. <laughs> Uh, it was like I was like, all right, the whole coach. time, Mike. I was like, I was like, I'm gonna introduce you, all right. So like, you know, just give me a second, and then he goes, yeah, give me a second. He went like this. He goes, all right, I'm ready. And then I was like, Dude. and then he was like, no, introduce me. I want to learn this. And then wait, who was your coach when you were Vermont? Uh, Steve Bevel. He's coaching at Cortland now. Meat, right? Or beef? What are they beef, called? Beef, okay. beef. Yeah. And then he was just like, I can't get Corona through this, right? And I was like, no. He goes, all right. He. Character. <laughs> Yeah, my my wife is uh my wife's knitting masks, so uh, I'm staring at like six or seven. I haven't found one. Sell two across once. Yeah, we got to get the fabrics. We had the, you, true, we had the true lacrosse out. Easter eggs going. We we're rocking those. That that's that's got to be the next step is get some uh, some true lacrosse masks done. Like we got to start looking into that. Yeah. By the way, we're already podcasting. This is this is good. One thing I've learned thus far, Pete, is you can record your welcome, so you just go, right? Because because the one thing it's it, it's tricky. And by the way, I spend way too much time on the welcome with with Brian. He did it once, and it was like done. I'm like, oh man, I was like, that was way better than mine. So I had to redo it. So we're here. We're we're, we're going after it. We're getting into it. Like I said, I've got a uh, the only piece of equipment you need to podcast. I have a mic now. So I think we're a podcast. We're legit now. Jake, Jake it's, will say something. We have a script, but Jake, we got to know what's going on with Rabel. Did you talk to him yet? I've not spoken to Rabel, but I've talked to a lot of his counterparts who are, you know, not very pleased with what's going on. And uh, what do you mean? Uh, I don't think there's a lot of people that like Paul Rabel right now. And look, I, you know, again, I have nothing against Paul Rabel. I just have some questions that I would like to ask him and I'd like to get him on here. So um, maybe, maybe, you know, that could be one of the next podcasts coming up. But I'd love it. Uh, Peter, Jake has been trying to get a hold of Paul and he can't get a hold of him. You know, you know anybody to connect him? The gauntlet's, the gauntlet's been thrown down. Yeah. I mean, the, the way these podcasts are going to take off, I'm sure Rabel's going to get wind that you're looking for him, Snake. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you can come on. 
face it man to man and we should just talk about it. I mean, talk it out, right? What I would mean, your first question be? I, you know, I have a bunch of questions I would like to ask him. But my first question would be respectful. I respect everything that he's built and done, but I have some deep questions I'm, I, I, I want to get us, in. Give us one example. We just got to know. Uh, you know, Consider I, it I, can't, I can't share that right now. Like, you know, this has got to be way – because then I start getting people all antsed up. No, it, you know, Paul Rabel, Jake Dean, Elsie Morshell, Mike Gable, Kevin uh, Finn uh, podcast. Yeah, right? yeah, some mediators, maybe two, and that's why Mike would be there. Yeah, yeah, I have me. Are you going to do punch me through the video? I mean, come on. I think we'll probably have his team of people on also. Yeah, maybe he will also have talk about his properties. All right, so so he's got property. Properties. All right. What do you mean? Like the high level word. It's a tech word. It's a tech word. Techie. Oh, okay. All right. Properties. Like right. like like saying somebody's big on social. Yes. Yeah. I got all these social properties. All right. Ah, okay. Yeah. Well, that's good. I, told I, me that once. And, I didn't know about any of those, that terminology, that nomenclature. No. We were on a call with him one time and we asked him about his companies and he corrected us and said, you mean my properties. Yes. Ah, so yes. it's a tech word. I think people use it when they own websites and, you know, property on the web of, you know, stuff like that. You got to have buzzwords now, like social yeah. distancing. That's a buzzword. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. Awesome. Well, Peter, welcome. Uh, Thanks for having me. We, uh, we're going to go through some, some basic conversation and then we'll get into your story. Uh, hopefully we get some more, uh, some more hot topics uh, like, like Jake, Jake likes to bring in. Jake, what do you got for us today? Anything new? I mean, Rabel, Rabel, you always got something. Rabel. It's Friday. What's, what, are you, what are you doing for the weekend? It's Friday. I'm weekend. Friday. My goal, my goal is to, I want to talk about this thousand push-up workout. Cause I'm going to try that. I'm going to try this on, try it today on my Instagram live. Then I'm going to work out. Then I'm going to try it on Saturday. Then I'm going to try it on Sunday. Walk me, through this again. 30 minutes. Walk me through this again. So the goal is to get a thousand push-ups in 30 minutes. Okay. All right, now, look, if, if you look at someone like me or maybe Mike, LC, you have broader arms, so I'm not going to put you in that category. But guys that have long, gangly arms, all right? Agreed. Yeah, yeah, it's it's tougher for us to get as many push-ups. Your, yours are too stocky, though. Yours are too what stocky. Do you mean? There, are, there are very few advantages to being five foot eight, but yeah. one, of, one of them is squats and the other one is push-ups. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I look at it as I'm at a disadvantage to try to get it. Someone like Mike is also. All right. But, you know, the goal is to get 1,000 push-ups in 30 minutes. You start at 45, 45, 44, 43, 42, 41. Go all the way down. Adds up to 1,000 push-ups. And you go all the way back five. up or just all the way down? Just all the way down. Yeah. Okay. So the one thing that doesn't start at 45 – is me there's no way i'm doing this contest at age at age 45 i'm not getting a thousand push-ups in it's just that's yeah i mean well, yeah. the viewers out there to try it Wait, how much break do you get between well, i tried doing it so i wrote down all the numbers okay so yeah. 45 44 43 and so here's what happens okay because what you're supposed to do is supposed to go in order doing them all i did like the first two and then I was like, there's no way I can do another like 43. I mean, that's like almost 50 push-ups, like right in a row in a row. So then 
the next time I did it, I was just like, I only got, I got to like, I don't know, 20. And I just crossed that out. And I was like, screw it. I'll just keep going and try to, you know, jump around. So, so what, what, even then it took me like forever. What's the break time? Do you get rest or no? You have 30 minutes to do it. So you can take as much break as you want. You got to right. complete it uh, under the time. So like, you know, in theory, you should be only taking like 30 minutes to um, 30 seconds to like a minute break. Yeah, you, can't, you can't even do a minute if you think about it. No. Yeah. Yeah, you I haven't seen anybody been able to get it. So I mean, when you get down to like doing, you're supposed to do like five push-ups, then six push-ups. Like, hopefully your break is going to be less. But like, dude, I mean, it, it was tough. I mean, it was it was tough for me. Push-ups like, in 30 minutes. Try, and then I'd go do that. And then my kid had to go to the bathroom, and then it was just like nuts. It was tough to go back. That might be a good idea for the next virtual for the next virtual happy hour. Is just have everyone else be happy houring with one person trying to execute this. <laughs> We could put a lot of fun 30 minutes. Yeah, we could gamble. Yeah, well, happy hours. Place some bets. So, Jake, you're going to do a thousand push ups then? I will get a thousand push ups. Dude, right. I don't know if you should be doing this because if you don't complete it, what's going to happen? What do you mean? Like, try again. You're on Instagram for 30 minutes. Well, yeah, you go, I'm going to try to get a thousand push ups. What if you don't get it? All right. So, so, so yeah, uh, I mean, that's that's, that's how it is. Right? I'll tell you, you'd be a winner in my book if you went on uh, IG live and uh, tried to bang out the thousand push-ups. And I don't, if I fail, I don't care. You can call me out. That's fine. All right, that's fine. You know, but I, you know, I want to see who else can do it with me. So, yeah. Apparently, when we do these workouts, you're supposed to do them all by time. So when you say like, "All right, kids, we're going to do push-ups," so you got 30 seconds because. Typically, the kids probably can't follow along with how many you do, anyways. So, oh, that's maybe I, this is maybe this is the way you get uh, Rabel to come on, challenge him. Challenge him, maybe, Rabel, maybe. All right, or maybe I'll just challenge Rob Pinnell. Like, let's do it, Rob. All right. He's got a severe, his small arms, compact body. You're not going to do that. He's know. like a body weight guy. Anyway. Well, I mean, still challenge him. That's yeah, what maybe. we should actually do. We start at challenges. You guys ever watch Strength Wars? No. Go what go to YouTube and Google Strength Wars. Strength all right. Wars. Strength Wars. Strength Wars. All right. Has two guys in a basement. All right. And they have to do. They compete against each other in Strength Wars. Wars with a with a time limit. I watch it every night. It's it's this, awesome. I, watch <laughs> I was going to say this sounds like it's right up your alley. Yeah, man. Uh, it's it's it's, it's I mean, highly recommend. They're in a basement. In a basement, a garage, two guys. All right, like, okay, the first one is to complete 20 squats at 325 pounds. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm next one, at next one you got to go to pull-ups, all right, uh, 25 pull-ups with a weighted vest on. And then the last one you got to do, you know, 25 you're, deadlifts. You're like strongman versus bodybuilders? This yeah, is yeah, and they have strongman versus, versus bodybuilders, like street, street. Um, yeah, like uh, core guys? Yeah, core guys versus uh, bodybuilders. Like, it's really uh, – I, I actually subscribe to it, so – so that's great should. and these guys these guys are probably crushing it in the quarantine market just because they don't have to they live in ride. basements anyway yeah, yeah. they just sit in their basements man. and lift weights great force oh my god jake that's your black that's your youtube black hole yeah i i, I yeah i I highly encourage anybody out, out there listening is go Google Strength Wars. I just looked right. it up. I'm I'm literally looking at it right now. It's it's yeah. fantastic. This is unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. I just want yeah. I want to watch these guys just go at I mean like and it's so it's so random too. 
Yeah, like you'll and they'll admit if they're on steroids. Like you got the anabolic anabolical horse. Yeah. Out, and then you got you got the uh, masked man. All right, and they all say they're on steroids. All right, or you know. How about they, this calisthenics guy versus a power power bodybuilder? Yeah. Like a guy, he just does calisthenics, and yeah. he's stronger than everybody. So my brother and I watch it. I'm trying to get train my brother for to to enter him in it. This so. is how Rocky got in a ring with Hulkamania. Yeah, hundred exactly. percent. Thunderlips. Oh, yeah. yeah, Thunderlips. Exactly. So, I think I'm probably going to do a Murph. You guys know what a Murph is? No, what's that? It's a, it's a CrossFit workout, but it's actually pretty good, Jake. It's it's one mile run, as fast as you can, 300 body weight squats, 200 push ups, 100 pull ups, then go run another mile. If you get good at it, you're supposed to do it with a weighted vest. Really? Yeah, so those guys will do it in like under 30 workout. minutes. That sounds like a great workout. Yeah. Phenomenal workout. Easy right. one. Any, anybody can execute it unless the pull-ups hit you. Yeah, pull-ups. Yeah, that ain't that – ain't, pull-ups aren't my strength. No? No. Been working on them, though. Been working on them. I put a swing up in my daughter's doorway, and uh, it has a, a pull-up capability, which she keeps telling me about. I haven't jumped in on it yet, but that might be a quarantine uh, – move get you gotta into get the creative pull-ups. these days you gotta get creative because you can't i think pull-ups i think pull-ups are the most badass like old man workout like if you go to a gym and you're you're an older guy you go to a gym and you just start ripping pull-ups i think that's like the most badass thing i think it is too i have to agree with that i mean if you can just do like a set of 20 pull-ups 15 at at you know 50 years old i'm like that guy yeah i want that guy on my sidelines right <laughs> You got to get, Jake, this is what you got to learn how to do. You got to be able to do a muscle up. Yeah. Yeah, I tried those. I did one once ever on on rings. On rings? Yeah, but I was like 30 pounds lighter, so. Yeah. Those are the the toughest ones. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what you got to try. The ring workout. You guys should actually order some rings, some gymnast rings. They're like TRX, but they're way better because they're more. Well, Models just went out of business. They have have weight sets, benches, like for 50 bucks. You You better go hit it up. Uh, no, I think, should, I think I might. Should, your garage should be a, a full weight room at the Dean Mansion complex. I gotta get something. I gotta get something going. I'm trying to build a gym out here right now. Dad, my dad has cameras though, so he's like, <laughs> so. Oh man! Well, we we made it through uh, week five of quarantine, guys. So that's good. And I was uh, spitballing ideas. And I don't know if you guys follow any of the NFL stuff, but they did the NFL. Uh, for 100 years of the NFL, they did the top 100 NFL players. So talking to Jake and Mike, I was like, why don't we pick our best uh, 20 players? And the reason I just picked 20 was just because the MLL is 20 years of professional professional lacrosse, quote unquote. Obviously, that's been disrupted. And I was like, why don't we pick our best 20 players? And what I decided to do was five defensemen, five attackmen, Right, eight midfielders, two goalies. Right, that's fair, right? Mike, two goalies is fair, or do you? Yeah, want to absolutely. Where do where do the LSMs fall into play? Are they under so, midfielders, defense? I was thinking about that. I think you get one flex midfielder that you could say is a short stick D midi or an LSM. Okay. Because right? you know, like obviously, there's some players out there that are like impact in between the line players that you could call an LSM, but you could also just call a defensive midfielder. You know, so. You have your choice to put your LSM within your five poles. And all we're going to do today is the five poles. Because I think that's 
that's going to be the toughest, you know, we, one group per, per, uh, per podcast and figure out what we, what we were going to do since, uh, Peter was a, a poll. We'll give him the opportunity to defend his case. Plus I think he can bring us some, some other guys into the equation we might not know about. Um, we all kind of played in, you know, scaling errors. So I think there's some, some interesting con- conversation to be had. Um, I would say I was thinking through it. My, my, my number one right now to start off as a poll would be Chris Passavia. Mm. Jake? Number I one. Wait, I disagree. Have, you, have disagree. Of, wait, you have a list of defensemen that doesn't start with Petrobal? Uh, Petrobal yeah. is number one. <laughs> actually, he's not. He's number two in my book. Number one is Brody Merrill. See, I, that's I, I have Brody Merrill. All right, but I have Brody I, Merrill, too. You know, Petromala. He's on there. Well, you – okay. So, in Peter's – probably, Peter, you, you played a little bit earlier than us. So, before there was Brody Merrill, there was Petromala. Okay? So – But they like, played like, two It's like MJ and Michael – it's like MJ and LeBron James. All right? Positions in my mind. That's so, I think uh, – Some argument. Anyway. You're number one. So I, think, I think anytime you talk about, like, whether it's the NFL, NBA, lacrosse, you're always going to have recency bias, right? So we all see people play. We're going to be impacted by them more, right? For me, like, Barry Sanders is the best running back I ever saw play live. But Walter Payton was my idol. And the best person, best running back I ever saw play, just not live, who I loved, was Gail Sayers, Right. But uh, not many people are impacted by watching NFL film, right? They, you know, they, they see the person live. They grow up cheering for him. And, you know, that, uh, that player is going to be closer to heart. So I think there's probably three. I bet you we have three defensemen that are all similar. Same, same on the list. And I bet you there are two that vary. Just because going through, going through this mentally in my head, like there are a few you just had to have. But right. then there are a couple that are definitely going to be subjective. I didn't say I didn't have Petro. I was just saying my, the one I'm throwing out first was Pasavia. I thought he was a great matchup nightmare. I think Petrovala, in terms of him playing at Hopkins, winning national championships, and then the aura of him that has been, like, long-lasting, I think creates this – that he's, like, the prototypical, like, historic defenseman in lacrosse. That's why I would say he would be number one. Versus another another defenseman that might have been good, but Petromala just has this like lacrosse aura around him for being the guy. Yeah, yeah. I, between, between the playing team. and coaching, he's straddled you know he straddled the game and generations, and had just an amazing impact. And I think there's a few defensemen that kind of fall into that category of uh, impacting either from product coaching, uh, you know, after their player careers. I don't disagree at all. I was just the, the, LC, the, the problem, the problem with Pasavia, first of all, there was a defensive unit at Maryland, all right, when Pasavia was there. Pasavia, Lee Zink, Pasavia, and Michael Halley, all yeah, right? They're amazing. All right, all right. The best defenseman on that team and the one that had the best overall career in MLL and college was Lee Zink. Correct. So Lee, Lee Zink is on my list, but not Chris, Chris Pasavia. Chris I Pasavia. just thought that Pasavia was a one-on-one matchup nightmare. He could take on Gary Gate. He could take on a COD guy. To your too many checks. To your guys' point. Come on, Jake. Watch. Bite your tongue. To your too many checks. To your guys' point. Petromala would, would and, and, and arguably, we'll get into this later, but, you know, arguably the greatest offensive player is Gary Gate. 
and Petramala consistently was the matchup with Gary Gate. Mm-hmm. So there, there's there's a lot of argument for Petramala. I have it on my list, and I wasn't necessarily saying ranking. I was just throwing out my first guy. So who else you got? Uh, why don't we start talking about the the? Why don't we compile a list? Of yeah, that? yeah. Let's do it. And who else we got? Go through some of that. Who else? Well, you I think I think okay. So everybody agrees with Petramala should be on there. Correct. Brody Merrill is one hundred percent should be on there, and I don't think any. If everybody's going to try to argue Brody Merrill, I'm gonna I'm gonna have an issue with that. Well, all right. So, so I'm not going to argue against that, but I have, I have to say for me, there was a, there was a tough debate getting that fourth and fifth. And uh, I think you could have gone any number of a few ways, including Brody Merrill, but not, you know, not only. Okay. And who who were some of those guys? Well, I think, I think there are, I think there are three players that are locks. Doesn't matter what generation you grew up in, uh, when you played, and who you watched. Whether you're looking for checks or close to, you know, or just someone that plays great position. For me, I thought three layups were McCabe, Beardsley, and Petromala. Right, Beardsley. Rick Rick Beardsley is probably the most confident and talented defenseman I've ever either played against or with. I mean, I thought I was confident you know borderline cocky and I mean he is just appropriately arrogant based on his skill like he I think he's ridiculous and he does a good job coaching too like he's a good he's a good follow currently so if you talk about the 90s okay I would agree with you that Pat McCabe Rick Beersley and Brody Merrill or excuse me and Dave Petromala should be in that that core group yes um I thought I thought Pat McCabe I played with Pat McCabe for one year at, with the lizards and he, he was like a leader on defense and was very that was like when he was getting out of the league and he was like 33 years old and just not he couldn't move like he could but he was great with, with checks he was a great communicator and um and yeah i mean him and uh him and beersley beersley was just a straight up like i'm gonna throw nasty checks take the ball down and score so yeah i mean he was there's, I mean, there are, there are instances where there are a couple defensemen, one of them being Beardsley, right? Like, they're the type of guys that take the ball away from you, and then they give it back to you in a tournament, and then take it away again, right? That's, you know, that's the way, that's the way they thought about playing. It's, you know, to them, it was, uh, you know, how bad you're going to embarrass the guy that you were covering. And uh, I don't know, I thought, I thought his, uh, I thought his check package was, uh, was, probably the most impressive that I'd, that I'd seen. So Dave Petromala, Uncle Ricky, right? Pat McCabe, where, 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 are we, where are we drawing the line with those three? I think Dave obviously is on there. Rick Beardsley, yes. I mean, he's got some of the nastiest checks out there. If you look at his work at Syracuse, right? So my first game ever was actually at the Dome. And uh, we had a big turnover at Carolina. So we, uh, we were starting either freshman or, uh, or redshirt freshman on attack pretty much. And there's just, they just absolutely abused um, us in the fourth quarter. It really was like men playing with boys. And that same would be true like me covering Colsey. Um, you know, that's, that's not a, <laughs> that wasn't a very good matchup. Um, but uh I think uh, I think Rick's a lock. Wasn't didn't he throw like a behind the back full field to like an attackman? Is that <laughs> multiple times? 
Yeah, that's, I mean, that's that just, Carolina. That's just the way he, like, that's the way no he went, right? He was everything you could hope for in terms of just, you know, playing loose and going out there and being in the moment. Like, he had that just because he was supremely confident. I think, uh, I think that's a quality all the defensemen have um, that, you know, would make this list, right? Is they, they, they all played instinctively with great anticipation and, uh, and with confidence, right? And if you're second late throwing checks, you know, you're, my, you're beat, right? And these, uh, these guys both had uh, the confidence to be aggressive, the timing and anticipation to get it. And then, uh, you know, in some cases like Rick, they really enjoyed just embarrassing the other guy, which put him in a great spot. Jake, who else you got? You got so, so here's my one argument. I would put Brody Merrill in like that flex position if we're talking about that because he also pushes in transition and plays offense. He's that yeah. guy. Like he's I, in yeah, between I, the lines. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely agree. Right? I would like, classify him as a midfielder. So, uh, yes, but I, I, I was just curious if we had another guy that was a pure LSM, maybe like an updated guy that we were going to throw on there, but – um, I also have Tucker Durkin. I mean, I've got, during I've got the, the, well. the, the years in which that was like the change of like technology in terms of the stick, like really being able to play lockdown one-on-one defense. Like, you know, could a lot of those guys that were those stick check throwers, could they even like handle the sticks nowadays, you know? So you guys remember, uh, I think we sent this out like a while back to players, Tucker Durkin's high school highlight video. Yeah. like if you guys have time just google it like it's it's awesome like he the whole time all he's doing is just putting kids on their assets no matter what the situation like if he's playing one-on-one kids on the ground he's playing like he's sliding kids on the ground he's playing off ball he's putting somebody on the ground yeah you're just like dude this kid is so mean i just want him on the on the defensive line the other i had another hopkins guy was mike evans just because i wanted to pick an anderone county kid yeah so i think i think you went right school wrong guy (laughs) who do you got so um, I have uh, a guy I played with uh, on the Empire State team, and he played at Hopkins after transferring from Virginia, uh, John Gagliardi. And I know, Jake, you played with him professionally. Um, John, like as a long stick, you talk about guys that could handle the stick. Um, his, time, his timing on checks and his ability to play two ways uh, you know, spoke to how easily he was going to transition to a short stick and play professionally. Um, but I thought Gags was, by the time he was a junior and senior, and then his uh, career after college, I thought that's when he was, when he was peaking. Um, and I thought at that point, he was as good a takeaway defenseman as I'd, I'd ever played. With. Here, here's the issue. Like, I got a chance to play with John Gagliardi and Pat McGabe, like, towards the end of their careers when they were like, not like, you know, 24, 25 years old. And then I got a chance to play with like Brody Merrill and, you know, some of these, some of these other guys, Lee Zink, like with, when they're in their prime. So right. like, I think it's personally like really hard to kind of like figure out who was better because you're talking about like a 10 year difference between these guys and they're in different eras. I think like everybody that everyone's mes- mentioned, I think is, is really good. I think, I, you know, I would like to throw a guy's name in there um, who I just like. I thought he was absolutely nuts. I thought he was crazy when he played. And I just I, – I, I was like 
I wouldn't say I was ever scared of him because we'd go to battle and we would just talk smack to each other the whole game. That was a guy named Eric Martin, all right? Eric <laughs> Martin was, was an absolute um, – he played D3 at Salisbury, won so many national championships. And you guys might be like, well, why are you putting a D3 player on it? Oh, no, he was – he's a freak, dude. You know, the guy The guy made the USA world team. Um, I, you know, my show screwed up, and it's because of Eric Mark, all right? What he, what he so, so, um, so, yeah, I mean, that was a guy, you know, and, and then I had to throw, like, um, I had to throw one of my teammates on here. I, he was just a mean SOB, all right? And I got to, you know, I don't really like him. I wouldn't say, like, I like – I would not a guy I would go hang out with. All right, but he was just—he's—he's he's just a mean asshole, and that's Jack Reed. The guy was a, a, a freak, you know what I mean? So um, it's a—it's a, pre- a pretty good quality in uh, as a de- as a defenseman, right? You know, yeah. He might—he he might be an a hole, but he's our a hole. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I would agree with you on that one. Um, I got another one to throw out there that nobody really kind of touched on. Is Jerry Byrne in this category? Oh man. Jerry Byrne, really? Jerry Byrne, you know, I don't, you know, I, I haven't seen highlights of his college career. Obviously, he went to UMass. He was, you know, I think he was an All-American there. But when you talk about a defensive mind, I don't think there's someone who has a better defensive mind of the game than Jerry Byrne. I mean, look at yeah. look he's, what he's been able to do with some of these defenses that he's, that he's coached. I mean – um, and he always told me, I remember he, told, he goes, Jake, I don't play, I don't coach how I play. All right. So, so, um, so yeah, I mean, just from a defensive mind standpoint, the guy, the guy knows what he's doing. Yeah. I mean, yet yeah, just, just yesterday I was highlighting uh, team defense in terms of, uh, you know, playing, playing as a unit and rotating hard and properly. And uh, Notre Dame was, you know, when he was coaching at Notre Dame, like that was my highlight, right. It's uh it's incredible what what he's uh, what he's done as a coach. You know, one of the one of the best defensive coordinators our game has seen, and it's great to see him get a shot at Harvard now. Yeah, I was on the field uh, two years ago. Um, I was in Lake Placid and played with him, and uh, I mean, it was like nuts how much he was talking. I mean, it was crazy. He was talking more than me, and like the whole time on the field, just communicating and all that kind of stuff, and. He's always been a guy that's been known to like play at Lake Class and play in like three different divisions, like the highest like the pro division, then like the the thirty year olds, and then the, like the forty fifty year olds. Like I mean, it's crazy. I mean, he's been always known to be like that. Again, to your point, I don't I, I don't know like what level he was at in college and so forth. So I know some of these other guys have always been like there's like auras around them because of their college ability, but maybe that's because they were at Hopkins or Maryland or some of these other schools. Yeah, I mean, frankly, there is, um, if you just look at, like, there are some, uh, some defensemen, like Steve Kisslinger, right? He might not get as much love as he should because, you know, he wasn't in the national championship games, right? He wasn't, he wasn't getting as much coverage or he played in a different era where there was no, uh, there wasn't a professional long stick uh, opportunity, right? Like, uh, it's just it's a different it's a different time you get different coverage like I'd struggle to find highlights of of myself and most of those I'll probably be getting dunked on right I mean <laughs> it's uh, you know it's a it's an offensive highlight you know uh, one one of the things that all these guys have in common like they were absolute 
pricks on the field. Like yeah. mean, like mean, mean, mean SOBs. And I know Mike Evans. I, I've taken a check from Mike Evans. I've taken a check from Jack Reed. All right. Eric Martin. All right. Brody Merrill. Like when those guys swung their sticks, Lee Zink, Chris Passavia, like, and they struck my arm in whatever capacity. I, I felt that for at least a week. Okay? Sounds like you're still feeling it in the shoulder. Chain. Yeah, I'm still feeling that. And <laughs> I think defensemen out there should understand, like, there's a difference between, like, being, like, just uncontrollably aggressive and being aggressive and just being a savage with your stick and just throwing a mean, hard check. And these guys were mean, man. They wanted to, they wanted to hurt you. They wanted you to feel pain. The nice, nice greeting check. On the, on the opposite side of that, you know, someone who was not necessarily big and physical, but one of, one of the, uh, one of the defensemen, one of the long sticks, I should say that, sticks in my mind who's been around the game for a long time now um is matty juan yeah mm. he played he played well, long stick at loyola and at his peak i'd never seen a long stick impact the game the way he did i mean it was basically like if you had the ball you just ran just <laughs> yeah. get away from him because he was like a surgeon when he was a senior i mean it was uh it, he was he was on a different level uh, in terms of the LSMs and, um, you know, scoring goals, being a two-way player. But he was pretty he was pretty filthy at his peak, and uh, he's done a nice job on the coaching front as well. Let me, let me throw some, like, more modern names out here just because I think there's some guys that warrant some discussion. Uh, obviously, I think Matt Landis is, like, pretty much your prototypical all-around defenseman. Uh, Jake, you might like this one, and I, I don't know if you even know him. Mike Simon? My okay, I have a great story about Michael Simon. Mike, Mike Simon is a beast. So, so let me tell you guys a story about Michael Simon. I know I don't want to go on a tangent here, but Mike Simon was playing for the Bayhawks. He came into the league playing for the Bayhawks when I was kind of going out of the league, finishing my career. Okay, you retired, we actually. What? Retired? Yeah, I retired. There was no retirement ceremony though. So, so uh, I didn't no get I didn't get it announced. All right, but anyway, so. There's this rookie, there's this rookie named Mike Sivan and played for an athlete. I'm talking about like, you know, six five, runs like hell, two hundred and something pounds. And so the owner of the team was the actual coach. And he didn't really know how to coach. He just knew how to motivate people and he would just throw ground balls out. So and his job was to try to figure out, okay, who, who, who I just want tough guys on my team. So we would do literally one-on-one ground ball drills, all right for 30 minutes with five guys in a line okay and this guy Mike Simon and I would go after it after ground ball after ground ball one-on-one -on -one ground balls and these are two grown men just like you know beating the crap out of each other and I went up to him after practice I go why don't they put you in a lineup you're better like you're better than me right now like I'm just some old guy like why don't they just put you in the lineup all right like you're you're insanely good like I, I don't understand why they're not playing you okay because you can only suit up 19 guys and there's 25 guys on the roster and he'd always be like I don't know Jake I don't know I was like listen man like you're gonna do really well in this league I don't know who's gonna take you all right but you're they're they're idiots for not playing you fast forward he's won five MLL championships 
and wow. has been an MLR all-star six, and, six and times. No kidding. The guy is 6'6", six, six, like 240, can run. I actually was playing in Maryland like last winter, and we played against like Coopers, and, and he's out there running around. I'm like, and I talked to like, I'm like, yeah, why is he playing? He's like a pro player. He doesn't even need to be here. But like, he just loves playing. And like, he just would carry the ball down and shoot from 15 and score. Like, and you're like, dude, this is, this is ridiculous. You got like 39 year olds out here who were like three new knee braces. that can't run. And Mike Simon was just a freak athlete. So I, Mike, I, know, I, I actually Gable, he's actually coming out to the defensive camp. That was the guy I, I got. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. Awesome. So here, yeah. here's a couple more. And uh, so uh, Jared Newman, obviously he's kind of busted on the scene in the uh, PLL. Uh, another big guy who can just do a lot of things athletically. Um, and I thought this was interesting. So we were talking about Brody Merrill. Joel White is, is a pretty, pretty legit, like, diverse player as far as, like, a long pole that can carry and transition, make plays, plays indoor lacrosse, does a lot of really good things. So um, I think that's an interesting conversation. Yeah, I think you're talking – like, you're, we're talking about two different types of defensemen. Right. So, and we could go back and forth. We're talking about the mean, like, I'm going to hurt you type of defenseman. Then you're talking about the defenseman that can, like – create transitions, score goals. And when you talk about Joel White or Scotty Ratcliffe, like those two guys, like I've never seen someone, Scotty Ratcliffe, what he's been able to do. He can handle a long pole, not only with his strong hand, but with his offhand. And he can shoot with both hands equally as well with a long pole. And I, 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 I told him, I go, listen, man, like, that was something that I like to pride myself in transition, but like the way you play with being able to utilize both hands, that's awesome. And then Joel White, that guy would do the one hand cradle and snatch a ball off the ground one handed and one hand cradle it all the way down the field. I mean, those guys have to be in the conversation when you're talking about who's just changed the game as a long pole. I might have to adjust my LSM position here. I would even say, like, okay, so somebody like John Sexton, okay, he could yeah. take the ball away in between the lines. Like, yeah. like guys would – the other team would be in transition, and he would get takeaways. Now, the only problem with him, he wasn't a goal scorer. Like, Joel White and these other guys could score goals in transition. He, I wouldn't necessarily say he was a goal scorer, but he was one of the best in-between-the-lines def- def- defenders. It's, so, sticking with the Notre Dame team and, and John, so yesterday when I, talked, uh, when I talked with the defense and I was highlighting team defense, it was the Notre Dame team defense. Um, but then I specifically highlighted John Sexton just because I wanted the polls to start thinking a little more aggressively offensively. Um, and he might not be the same quality shooter as the other guys, but what I, what I love is just how aggressive he was. Right, he ran the break with and without the ball. He was always uh, he was always looking to get his and put a lot of pressure on the defense. So, uh, Mike, I think I, that's a it's a great name to throw out there in terms of an LSM. All right, so go back, go back to game, go back to changing the game. Like, what do what did we think about having Dave Morrow on the list? I mean, Ooh. ridiculous career. Um, I mean, just. I was just about he, to say, up there. Yeah, he's up there. if you look at accolades, he's up there. I know we wow. hadn't mentioned the Princeton guy. I was going to say Damian Davis. Uh, Mike says no, but that's like the, the big Princeton. Damian Davis. Damian Davis had trouble passing and catching. Damian oh, yeah. Davis. All right. Damo, I, baby. Damo. I was trying to think of a Princeton guy, but they're all like interchangeable. I can't remember him. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's yeah. well. That's unfortunately, I think you have like a, a style of play that shortchanges the quality of the defenseman, right? It's it's easier it's easier to watch someone who's scoring goals and uh, and right. taking the ball away and think that they're a better player. Right. Whereas whereas some of those Princeton defensemen played with tennis rackets and they weren't allowed to touch the ball. Yeah. <laughs> but they could slide and recover and cover like play the ball. So we got Locks, Dave Petromala, Rick Beardsley. Who else is a lock? Brody? Brody. I mean, nobody's voting for Tucker Durkin. I was on the match. I, I, I put Tucker on here. Okay. Like, everybody, everybody's going to be like, all right, take Tucker. Take Tucker when they see this. All the kids out there because they know Tucker Durkin. And I'm not, I'm not saying anything against Tucker Durkin. But Jake, he coaches at Drexel now. But, but you know, Jack Reed, Eric Martin, Lee Zink, all right, Mike Evans, they were all like Tucker Durkin. All right. You know what I mean? They do, the kids just don't know him because they, they're, you know, they don't know who he is. Like what? Like what? I don't know. Mike Evans? I mean, isn't Tucker Durkin like a well-known defenseman as being like the top defenseman? So was Mike Evans. You know, so was Lee Zink. I, I don't know. You, know. you you've got one more spot right now. If you want to take Tucker, you take Tucker. But I would still. Oh, I got I got another spot after that. Got I like Joel spot. White and I like Scott. Scott Rathliff would get those the ball pass down pick. I would put I would put those guys in the midfield. All right. But who do you want? We've got we've got a, we've got a lot. We could put I would put Eric Martin. Quite honestly, Eric Martin was something from another planet. If you ever watched him play in person, he, he was a freak, man. He was a freak. He, I, he you guys don't know. You freeze, Mike? Did I freeze? No. Oh, all right. Um, I don't know. We could we could debate the last couple spots all day long. Let's let's yeah. let's let's let's. I, I clearly <laughs> struggled getting that. Even the fourth, I had trouble with. Like, there's just there are so many guys, I mean that you could you could slide in there. It's it's so subjective, and there are so many good defensemen of you know from different generations and styles of play. So. Last question then: Who's the best defenseman under five foot nine? Then Murph, if you if you're, <laughs> uh, I think for a while I might have been the only. Uh, so uh, I can think I can think of one other one. The defense. Joe nah, the defenseman from Marquette. BJ Grill. Yeah, yeah, he's like five seven. <laughs> I was uh, up until him. Like I didn't really, I didn't really know of any five foot eight defensemen. I think what was probably even more ironic for me was I wound up playing in the crease more than the outside. And uh, so I was the de facto slide guy in our, in our defense. And they they couldn't see you coming. Was that? They couldn't see you coming. Well, no, they couldn't. That's, <laughs> and I didn't have to worry about leverage, right? It's no, like, no, you're coming right Getting under people is no problem. Rib, rib cages were like my shoulder. Awesome. All right. So Jake, we're going on to your, your snakes takes. What do you got this week for us? Let's see, man. So, I guess uh, I guess my question to you guys, all right, we got this whole, like, you know, COVID-19 thing going on, okay? And uh, we, got, we got, you know, April 19th, they're launching the last dance for the, for the Bulls, uh, 1994, 1993 Bulls teams, all right? Um, who do you guys think? is a better player in their area, era, LeBron or Jordan? 
I'm going Jordan. It's Jordan, and it's not. It's not even. Why? Debatable. Why? 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 I, I'll I'll tell you why. Why I think. Okay. And I'm gonna vote for vote for Jordan just flat out. Okay. Like now, later, whatever. Okay. I felt like Jordan still to this day has this aura of competition around him that. I don't know. I just feel like LeBron has too many like haters or something like, you know, people are questioning like, you know, his work ethic, the fact that I guess apparently he saves himself for the playoffs. He doesn't go hard every game. I'm the type of guy that's just like, I felt like Jordan at practice in games, regular season, preseason at all times, he's a hundred percent. And that's why I'm always going to be a Jordan guy. Yeah. Mike, I think you nailed it on the head. And if you, and he add, uh, you know, LeBron James's, you know, decision and the announcement and, you know, all that crap, leaving Cleveland and going to Miami. I mean, that really left a bad taste in my mouth. And to his credit, he did get a little bit back when he played for Team USA uh, and, uh, you know, played the way you're supposed to be playing. But, like, his career is going to be close to unparalleled at the same time. There is no one that I'd rather have on my team ever than Michael Jordan. Like, you're going to win that game, right? Yeah. If, if, it's LeBron, if it's LeBron versus MJ, you could be throwing darts. I'd put my money on MJ, right? I'm put this in terms that Jake, Jake will understand. So, Jake, we're not here to, to have a popularity contest. It's not about who's the nicest. Michael Jordan's a killer. Like, you read his quotes – and I feel like I've probably read more about this in the past two months now since the, this has come out. But we don't even need to talk about statistics. Statistically, LeBron James might be the greatest player to ever play when it's all said and done because he's probably got at least four years left in the tank. But he also got a four-year jump, so the errors are hard to compare because Jordan had to go play college for four years. Nobody was leaving early. So when it comes to a personality, like why would you ever not want Michael Jordan on like, you know, who's, who's better – you know, who's a better basketball player? Like, yeah, you can argue LeBron. Who's a greater champion? It's not a question. It's LeBron. I mean, it's uh, Michael Jordan. So, so here's, your my question. So here's, my... here's your question. What's your question? Who's the best bas- – who's the greatest basketball player to ever play? Or who's the greatest player? But here's my problem with every single comment you guys said. You're making it, like, seem like that LeBron James is not competitive. Okay? Like, like that's what that's what you got. Oh, this guy's got such a more competitive drive than, than LeBron James. Okay? Like, dude, the, the, the guy is – if you read articles about LeBron James, he, I, I would take anybody, anybody to have LeBron James' com- competitiveness. Take but would you take money. him over – but would you take it over MJ's? That's the, like – Okay, maybe not, but that's not – if I get, if I get very close, if I get very close to his competitiveness and I take LeBron's skill, size, and capability, like, I'm, 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 I'm – IQ, uh, athleticism, I'm taking that. Jake, the main reason you've been successful is that you're crazy competitive, almost, like, weird competitive, like, crazy. Yeah. Right? I, I, so, but, like, you have, you have MJ's, I'm always going to be competitive, right? Like, you add – how many days? How many days you take off? How many practices are you just gonna, you know, go easy? Yeah, but right? you, I, you can't tell me LeBron is like this not competitive guy. Like no, I'm no, not. It's, no one's saying he's, he's not a legendary NBA player. Of course, he's super competitive, right? The guy wants to win more than anything. Here's, here's the difference. As much LeBron as James cares what people think about him. Michael Jordan just cares about winning. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's, I, that's uh, the best it, analogy I can make. Yeah, so to your point, I was I was like listening to I had this audio book that I listened to and it, it talked about like these interviews and this guy it was it was I, I forget what the name of it, it was basically like talking about the dark side of 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 of, of some of these athletes and he talked about MJ MJ's uh, gambling okay problem he he was an addicted he was addicted to gambling that's because he was so competitive he couldn't go to bed because he just had this like he had this like willingness to like I want to challenge myself I want to challenge himself so he would go to casinos to try to fix that competitive like advantage it's nuts and 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 my my only thing about I'll go again I'll go back to Jordan Jordan respected his coaches okay I don't feel like LeBron respects his coaches that's something that like how many times has LeBron's coaches been fired because LeBron doesn't like him I feel like Jordan's been kind of like the opposite on that and I'm sure I am sure that LeBron James or his supporters would argue, though, that's just him being competitive and caring about winning so much. But I'm 100 percent with you, Mike. Yeah, I you know, I, I just think you look back at the 2016 NBA finals where he basically took a team of like scrubs and won. You yeah. know what I mean? You know, that, that, that that's he put the he put that team on his shoulders. I mean, no one's yeah. ever done anything like that. In, yeah. in my yeah. in the history of sports. I agree. You, you could argue that was one of the greatest accomplishments in basketball. I don't, yes. think, I don't think we disagree with that. I think here's, here's like, the, again, you can't compare apples to apples here, but who the heck would know who Tony Kukoc or Steve Kerr is if Michael Jordan wasn't playing with him? But he has Scotty Pippen. Who would know who Bill Worthington is or Will Purdue, right? Or like any of these like role players. B.J. Armstrong. B.J. Armstrong, Jake. Who knows yeah, but who he that's Scotty Pippen. playing with Michael Jordan. He had Scottie Pippen. And he right, had he found a good thing, and he stuck with it. LeBron lost Kyrie. If he had Kyrie still, he LeBron, had Kyrie when they beat the Warriors. LeBron – I mean, we can go back and forth. LeBron's been in nine NBA finals, all right? Yeah. He's carried guys on his back, teams on his back. It's like getting a participation trophy in Michael Jordan. Oh, my God. Right. Don't you know, just what, get there. You know, what's really unfortunate about the uh, quarantine that we're in is that LeBron really had just an incredible opportunity to – take another team to a championship with the Lakers, right? And if he could have done yeah. that, this argument really changes, right? If he can yeah. win in Cleveland, I don't win disagree. in Miami, and win in L.A., um, you know, with one, two, or zero stars, like it just, it just shows how incredible an athlete and basketball player is. I think the, arg- I think the argument starts to get a little more even. Yeah. We're, we're keeping score here because uh, I've been asking every college coach who picks MJ or LeBron. So far, it's 1-1. Yeah. So Jake's uh, – but I, to, to be fair, Baxter didn't really answer the question because he says, you got to give me some context. Am I taking him to win a championship? Is it – what rules are we playing? Like, he was well-researched. He knew what he was talking yeah. about. That's a great question, and I love the debate itself because there is really no wrong answer. And I think we all get a lot of excitement of watching both. I, I Like I said, I think – Part of it for me is just nostalgia being a kid growing up watching Michael Jordan play. Like, yeah. If you're a kid growing up now and you watch LeBron, like, dude, I'd be like, this guy's the greatest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. All he does well, is if you take it one generation earlier, right, it was Bird versus Magic. Bird, yeah, Bird versus Magic. And you had, you know, Coast versus Coast and <laughs> style, stylistic differences that were so pronounced. Um, I mean, that was epic. I mean, they basically – put the NBA on their back and saved them. And then Jordan just took it to the next level in terms of relevance and revenues is, I mean, it was pretty, uh, it was pretty impressive, but 
Yeah, I do. I do love the debates. It's, generational it's, it's debates. the greatest debate. It is the greatest debate. LeBron, MJ versus anybody, basically. I, I did read one article that was saying you're comparing LeBron to the wrong superstar. He should be compared to Magic Johnson, and that yes. I do agree with. Yeah, you know, but Ma Magic Johnson was very similar, except Magic was a better shooter. wasn't a great shooter, but he was a better shooter than LeBron is. I just think Magic was so unique because he played. LeBron doesn't do it as much, and the NBA has changed. But that, you know, in that one Finals, he what he had to he had to guard Parrish, right? He had to guard Robert Parrish in yeah, the post. He started he started at center for him. Yeah, he started at center, and he played every position in one series. That's crazy. He went from one, two, three, four, five. It's nuts. That's a great that's a great argument, Mike. What do we got? Who's who's hot? All right, here we go. Here's my topic. Okay, you are currently a college recruit. Okay. And right now, obviously, I think there's like, you know, 75 Division One schools. There's like 76 Division Two. There's over like 280 Division Three schools. If you have the choice to play college lacrosse at any school that does not have a lacrosse team right now. So give an example. You play lacrosse at like Miami. Okay. Like at, at, a, at a school that does not have a lacrosse team that you're like thinking, dude, how awesome would it be to play college lacrosse at this school? Okay. So, like, you know, UCLA, like Texas, um, you know, schools like that that don't have a team that, like, you think would be, like, the coolest thing in the world if, if there was a lacrosse team there. So, that would be my uh, – that's my topic. Um, and maybe mention, like, why you'd want to go play at that school, okay? So, I'll, I'll just start off. I think, uh, you know, playing lacrosse at a school like uh, – I think I mentioned it like UCLA, I think would be so awesome just because of like being out in California, West coast, obviously being close to the beach and uh, you know, general good ac academic school. So that would be my take there. Yeah. I gotta, so I gotta agree. So when I was looking at schools, you know, this is circa 1992, 93, if I could have gone anywhere, it would have been California. Yeah. And uh, they just, you know, there were no opportunities then. So I just, you know, I was looking for warm, warm weather as one of my uh, check boxes after, you know, strong academics. And, um, you know, so I wound up looking down south and went between, you know, Duke, Virginia and Carolina. Um, but yeah, UCLA was kind of always in my head. Uh, but just to, uh, to mix it up, right, let's, let's maybe throw another ACC team in there. We'll go with Florida State. Oh, nice. That'd be awesome. What you got? I mean, that, that, that there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of choices out there for something like that. What about where didn't uh, Jules? What about she go to South Carolina? <laughs> no, I'm not going there. Uh, you know, I I would say you know I like UCLA, but I would say USC. Oh all right? yeah. All right, the uh, Trojan. All right, you know, great football team. Great basketball team, all right. University Southern California. I mean, that's. I don't think you could beat that. So, going down, go start a program at the uh, at South Carolina though. Gamecocks maybe getting a little Steve Spurrier input on the yeah. Pretty. I've nice. got I've got three I've got three ideas here. Uh, first, uh, the Oregon Ducks. Ooh, greatest uniforms. Nice. Yeah, all Get the nice equipment. When you're thinking like an 18-year-old, you're like, okay, their uniforms are like neon green and dark, like Everest green, and you get all the Nike gear you could ever want. Yeah. What else would you actually want? Right. Next thing, like, 
you, nobody mentioned really an SEC school. And if you get SEC behind lacrosse, that's a lot of money. So roll tide. Oh, yeah. Right? You, <laughs> go to Alabama. <laughs> Not the greatest location, but any of these schools, like, it just amazes me. And the other thing I, I think about from growing the sport perspective, getting the Pac-12 and the SEC behind it would be huge from a monetary standpoint. You could, you could, you know, there'd be so much more money because one of the biggest problems you're going to have with lacrosse is there's so many lacrosse programs that are like non-revenue, like, you know, driven college sports and athletics. Like they don't have a football team attached to them. So I would say Oregon Ducks would have been first just because it would have been super cool to be in the Pacific Northwest. You would have had awesome supplying and funding from Nike. Um, but I definitely think going to an SEC school like Ole Miss, like imagine having football Saturdays at Ole Miss and then you go to you got lacrosse too. Might be distracting, but that's that's a great question. Um, the lawn to lax. Yeah, That'd be pretty nice. I think everybody talked about besides LC going up to Oregon, but like everybody wants to go somewhere warm. So I just I'm so jealous of like you see these these girls schools, the Division One school like Florida Gators. I mean Jesus, like you know, and then like like Jake said, uh -huh. USC, UCLA. It's crazy. Yeah. So. Yeah, wouldn't suck. I, 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 I have like, state. I got an offshoot question for you guys off current events that I was thinking about. Uh, and somebody texted me and it has to do, we were talking about Petromala not being, he's not returning to Hopkins. Do you think that's a financial decision for them? They're like, hey, we don't have revenue sports next year. We might, you know, we have a division three football team. We're losing ticket sales for this entire year. We're losing field rentals because they rent to like the MIA to have all their conference championships there. Um, do you think that they're like, we can't continue to pay this guy, whatever we're paying him? And so we were, Jake and I talked to somebody that's, uh, got a pretty close relationship to Petromala. He said he hasn't talked to him about it, but he said it was not a mutual departure. Yeah. That, 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 that it was, it was not mutual. So. That was my, my thought process. I'm like, there's no way that they were just like, Hey, you know, I have a feeling they probably went to him like, Hey, you need to take a huge pay cut. Look, I mean, look, like. I don't think it's that. I think, I think, you know, in college lacrosse is cutthroat. All right. You're not winning and you're not winning the Hopkins way, which is brought in a ton of national championships. This would be the perfect time to let someone go. Who's not doing that. And I, I, I'm a huge fan of Dave Petromala. I followed him in his career, but unfortunately he's, he was not winning. Like he's not winning. Let's just call a spade a spade. He's not winning. And if you're not successful, all right, you know, they're going to come and call for your job, all right? And that's, in my opinion, that's what happened. And they said, hey, this whole COVID-19 thing, it was probably a, a good thing to cut ties with him. I mean, if you're going – if you're at Hopkins and you're going into an overtime game with Mount St. Mary's, that's not Hopkins lacrosse. Come on. That's not what you pride yourself in at being in Hopkins. And Hopkins is the main – lacrosse is the main sport at Hopkins. Yeah, yeah, they have a football team. Everything else is Division Three. Yeah, and I know. They have no money. They have no funding. Yes, yeah, so my older brother actually played football at Hopkins um, for a year, and then he he wound up quitting. Um, but uh, you know, going to that going to that school, you know, you're if you're playing lacrosse, you know, you're you're a relative athletic god at that school. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of pressure, but uh, you know. It is a cutthroat industry, and one of the greatest things about uh, about Bresci winning for Carolina a few years ago was, you know, there was chatter, kind of the same you heard about Petrino. Yeah. There was chatter that he was going to be under pressure, and 
at the end of the day, you know, winning does matter. But I think the most important thing is, you know, who you want looking after your kids for four years. And, uh, you know, sometimes people lose sight of that. And, you know, for, for Brescia, Carolina, there's, there's no one you'd rather have, right? He's, uh, he's a father figure to a lot of those guys. But, you know, he could have found himself in a similar situation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, same thing with Nick, Nick Myers at Ohio State when he wasn't winning. He got him to the national championship, saved his job, I believe. You know what I mean? So, so you know, there, there's yeah. – you have to win at the Division One level. Yeah. That's your job, to win. So, I think, I think it's the combination of both of what, what you guys are talking about. So, you got he, – he's not – he hasn't done well in the last, like, five years. They've just barely had, like, a 500 season, like, the last couple of years. And then they play in the Big Ten. So, the school's probably pissed at how successful the team's been. And then he's probably turning around and saying, dude, we're in the Big Ten. We have the worst facilities out of all the Big Ten schools. Like, what do you expect? And so I, I just think the negotiation probably didn't go well. Yeah, tough, tough situation, but a good time to pivot and talk about uh, Peter. Uh, you know, we, we wanted to bring you on and uh, kind of give you an opportunity to tell a little bit of your narrative and us to chime in with some questions. Uh, you've had some pretty crazy things happen. We've all kind of – had a, had a good conversation with you about them. And uh, one of the things we're trying to do with this, with this podcast is bring on some of our people that, you know, work directly with our athletes and give them an opportunity to, to tell a little bit more about themselves, because I think it's a, it's a really, you know, obviously it's a good time right now to reflect, but it's a really good opportunity for you guys to get some more information out to our athletes who sometimes don't even take the time to get to know where their coach is from or what he's done in his past and some of the things that have impacted him the most. Um, so uh, I'm not sure how to exactly start this the best way other than just say, well, you know, why don't you give us a, a brief background on your upbringing and then uh, we'll, we'll start asking questions from there. I know you're a Long Island native. Yes. Now you're in Chicago. So. Yeah. So I've, uh, I think I've uh, lost mul multiple accents and I'm claimed by no one. Um, having gone from growing up in Long Island to going to school down in North Carolina to moving out to the Midwest. So I probably, Unless I'm yelling at my kids, uh, I probably don't have too much of an accent either way. Um, but for me, uh, I'm a, one of four kids in the, in the family. Uh, and and, and uh, correct dad, me if I'm wrong, Murphy's an Irish name? Yeah, Murphy's, Murphy's definitely an Irish name. And you're only allowed to have an Irish or Italian name in Long Island, correct? Uh, yeah, pretty much, especially... Maybe, uh, maybe a Polish... Especially if you're going to like a neighboring Hofstra, which was, you know, five minutes or so from my house. What high school did you go to in Long Island? Uh, Garden City High School. So wow. we had a pretty, uh, pretty storied program. I was fortunate, uh, great coaches. Uh, so my, uh, my JV lacrosse coach, Tom Flatley, was also my varsity football coach. And uh, he was U.S. world team coach. Incredible mind. Unbelievable. Uh, record he was just uh nominated or uh, excuse me elected to the uh u.s lacrosse hall of fame uh my varsity coach was doc darty again coached on the world uh coached junior worlds and uh my assistant coach offensive coach uh doug dwyer coached uh hardy at the merchant marine academy yeah right so he's what he's hardy's favorite coach he coaches there with tom gill and so I was pretty fortunate to have incredible coaches like that and, you know, many before that across different sports. And so by the time I got to college, I felt really well prepared to, uh, you know, to lead a defense. And 
you know, eventually slide into coaching just because uh, I had a pretty good knowledge base, which was important for me because, you know, frankly, I was an undersized um, athlete, um, you know, really punching above my weight. And so if I didn't maximize my athletic ability and play with uh, real anticipation because I knew, you know, the next two, three steps, you know, thinking like I'm playing chess when you're playing checkers, right? If I'm not doing that, uh, there's no way I'm going to be successful versus some of the uh, bigger, stronger athletes. So, Murph, I, I have a question, man. I, you know, I've never seen clips of you play or highlights of you play. Can you kind of talk to us a little bit about yourself as a player? Uh, obviously, you're not the biggest guy. Did you have a motor? Were you physical? Were you more finesse? Can you talk about, like, just, like, what, what you were like as a, as a player? Sure. I mean, I think objectively looking at me, I – I thought I was the best third defenseman in the country. Um, and by that, I mean, I certainly, I could throw checks, but I wasn't the best takeaway guy, right? We've talked about some of the, some of the defensemen I would put up there. Um, I, uh, I was great in, I was great in the crease. I ran, you know, I ran the defense. I was really good on ground balls. Um, I could do a little bit of everything, um, but, what I brought, I think, most of the game was an intensity and uh, a physicality. So for me, my first love was actually football. And uh, I just never looked at going to college. So I never read a letter from a coach on the football front just because I had made a decision which was, you know, in part business, right? I was going to get into a better school and I was going to get a scholarship, right? So going to play D3 football or low-level D1, made no sense versus going to Duke, Virginia or North Carolina. And um, right. So that was, it was pretty much a business decision. I love lacrosse. Don't get me wrong. Right. But I would have given a lot to be playing in the NFL. Right. Oh, so Murph rewinding one bit, you said you were, you were one of four brothers. Yes. And were you the youngest? Uh, one of one of four siblings. Sorry. I have a, uh, my sister's as tough as my brothers, but uh, two brothers and a, and my younger sister. So I, was, uh, I was second in line. Kind of like a middle? Sec yeah, so second, second in line. So basically the way it worked was my older brother was one of the toughest people I know. And uh, he wasn't afraid to let me know it. Um, so he worked pretty hard on me. And, you know, the nice thing about that is, I mean, I really just had no fear playing against anyone, right? Just, you know, you get pounded on by your brother. You just have to develop uh, – you know, some sense of toughness. And, uh, you know, I think that's one of the things I probably brought to the game. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, so, so your fan, your household, I know you told me a couple of stories about your pop and I was, I was pretty amazed. You guys, you guys had a pretty, uh, confrontational household, would you say? Uh, yeah, I could say so. I think, uh, it probably, uh, probably came to a head and this is unfortunately not that long ago, but, uh, you know, we're all after all graduated from college and, uh, you know, every once in a while there was still a, there was still a problem in the house and uh, it got physical. But I remember I was trying not to get in a, trying not to get in a fight with my older brother and uh, was being pretty reserved. And uh, he took advantage of that and almost like put me through a shower door. And, uh, you know, before it got any worse uh, than that, my little brother comes in who was not little. His name was Butch, right? Like Patrick Neil Murphy, a.k.a. Butch. And uh, he's like my height, but he could go anywhere from 180 to 230. And uh, he benched 100 pounds in third grade. 
right? He was a strong, strong kid. And I just remember he comes in and he basically jacked my brother up against the wall. He's like, it's over. And of course I'm right behind his back, like, yes. Right? You know? <laughs> but uh, that was, you know, that was my little brother asserting himself. And I, I think that was the last time uh, anything got physical in the house. But uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a physical house growing up. And, um, you know, I think we kind of carried that aggressiveness over. They, my, both my brothers were uh, football players. They played at Hopkins and Catholic in college. Um, and uh, unfortunately, my little brother was actually a, a hell of a lacrosse defenseman, um, but he didn't like our high school coach, and he quit before he even got to high school. Um, but I would argue that he was a better lacrosse player than I was. Wow. Yeah, and uh, and a lefty defenseman and a strong kid. Like he would. Yeah, yeah, you can't. Yeah. It would have been nice to have him at Carolina with me. No, no kidding, no kidding. So, so uh, went to high school, went to Garden City, and then you know you went you went through the recruiting process, which is obviously way different. Uh, I think every one of us went through a little bit different recruiting process. I didn't play travel teams. You just went to your high schools and, you know, you hopefully got lucky. And then who, who recruited you from UNC? Uh, well, the recruiting was kind of fun at UNC. So they, um, they were one of the only schools who actually did not recruit me. Um, and uh, I had to have my high school coach reach out to them to facilitate a meeting and then he came to my high school but it was weird all the you know almost every other coach you talk to um with the exception jake i'll put canella as the exception here most of the other coach almost every coach kind of you know blew smoke up your ass a little bit right like they were recruiting you um where coach canella and i had a really really frank conversation as to where we stood and i actually visited umass and basically, if I wasn't going to go down south and I want to stay in the northeast, right, that was, you know, that was the idea. It was actually yeah. my best recruiting trip. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but uh, it was funny. After the meeting with uh, Coach Carmen, which I think was, um, was really set up because the, uh, there was a football coach there recruiting my uh, quarterback, and he saw me play football and made a, made a call down to the lacrosse office. Um, but long story short, after I met with Corman, uh, I wasn't sure he actually wanted me to go to school there. Um, he told me I'm one of eight defensemen he's rec uh, recruiting and that, you know, there's no way at my size I'm ever going to start down low. And uh, so it was, for me, it was almost like a breath of fresh air. And uh, I was never making my decision based on um, – lacrosse program or who's going to win national championships. I narrowed it down to great academic schools that I really wanted to go to in a region of the country. Um, and uh, I just knew that I was going to visit all three and then wherever was the best fit I was going to go to. And um, I almost didn't go to Carolina. Duke was originally my first choice, uh, but Pressler, who was the coach there at the time, wanted you to commit before Thanksgiving. And for me, that meant not visiting other schools because that was the only school I visited uh, during the fall, right? And so for me, when I told Pressler I wanted to look at other schools, he said, well, we want your decision. And well, you have it. And, I, and that was kind of the end of Duke. Um, and so thankfully I went to Carolina and I instantaneously knew I wanted to go to school there. Um, and so I told Carmen that on uh, that's, that Sunday of the trip, 
And uh, to his credit slash horrible recruiting, he said, well, I know you're going to Virginia next week. Why don't you call me when you get back from UVA? Let me know you want to be a Tar Heel. <laughs> right? So no, what, what coach in their right mind would ever do that? Right? But it spoke to how he looked at the world. Right? He wanted you really to be a Tar Heel only when you wanted to be a Tar Heel. Now, yeah. that's not the best recruiting. Right? But for me, like, that worked. Right. And so I got back next Sunday from Virginia and, um, you know, I had a great time there. But in the back of my mind, I knew where I was going. Who was the coach at uh, you were the head coach at UNC then? So UNC uh, was Carmen. He had just taken over for uh, Willie Scroggs um, okay. a couple years prior. And uh, Dom Starja was uh, the head coach at uh, Virginia and Pressler was at Duke. Interesting. So then you get you get to you get to Chapel Hill and. You know, uh, college across hits you pretty hard as being a student athlete. How, how did that work out for you as far as, like, balancing all that? I think everybody struggles a little bit their freshman year. Yeah, I think a little bit would probably be an understatement. <laughs> yeah. Right? So, um, I, had a, I had a point seven, so. <laughs> yeah, well, let's so we could talk. Yeah. Um, but uh, I would say that um, Carmen, while, he, while we were there, um, you know, there were a few things that he really nailed well. And uh, one of the things he said was, you know, there are three things in life, right? There's your social life, your athletics, and your academics. It's big He's like, Most people can do two. There'll be an exception here or there that can do all three and do them well. So figure out what you want to do. And uh, let's just say, I think um, when I talk to kids and players about going off to college, um, you know, I stress not making the the short-term decision on what feels good versus, um, you know, what's the right thing to do and, you know, stressing the academics because it wasn't until, you know, more like my junior, senior year that, um, you know, I realized kind of what I've missed and how far I was behind. And really academically, I think no matter what field I've been in, I've been playing catch up for, you know, 25 years. Can't argue with you. I don't know how Jake and Mike did in school, but <laughs> yeah, I would agree with uh, I would agree with uh, only being able to do two really, really well. So um, that's it's it's tough. It's a big wake up call for kids, you know, with college and 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 so forth. So yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's tough. Obviously, I always dreamed of being able to go to North Carolina after uh, after going down there for spring break and playing against uh, some of the teams down there. So I've always been. Uh, a sucker for anybody that's gone to Carolina or just going down there to visit. It's beautiful down there. Just like so, so Murph, what, what, um, what, you know, you, you came from a blue collar upbringing, you know, like uh, Long Island, hardworking, played multiple sports, football, you wrestled too, right? Uh, no, I think I lasted maybe one or two practices wrestling. I body slammed some kid and I was told that that wasn't that type of wrestling that we were doing. <laughs> And so uh, I went back to playing basketball briefly, but uh, gotcha. in high school, I, you know, I wound up going from, uh, from four or five sports down to two and just focused on football. Yeah. Uh, so, so you went down to Carolina, you know, like I, I, I went to, you know, I think we actually, you had a lot of kids from St. Mary's, like Annapolis at, you know, Carolina at that point, yeah. a lot of Maryland kids. I always felt, you know, and I, I was the same way as Mike. I was like, man, I want to go to Carolina. One, Jordan went there, so I'm like, that's cool. Two, the uniforms look sweet. That's cool. You know, that's about as far as I took it at the age of 10 and 11. 
Uh, as I got older, I'm like, man, I'm so happy I went where I went because I fit in better culturally there. Did you have any like issues fitting in with the culture being blue collar? And I, I do know in the past they had somewhat of a uh, white collar feel to them. Yeah. So it's interesting. I mean, first off, not to, not to correct you, but maybe to qualify, like whether I was blue collar or not. I mean, I grew up in Garden City, which is a, which is a pretty affluent town. Um, but, you know, within that, my, you know, my parents were, uh, you know, a, a, a teacher and a, and a defense attorney. And, uh, you know, we had a pretty unique upbringing in terms of how we were schooled relative probably to the rest of Garden City. Um, but uh, we were definitely not lacking as a kid. So I think um, while we wound up... Uh, I, meant, I meant more in the mentality, the blue collar. Yeah, well... You got a problem, we were, let's, let's fix it. Let's, let's we were go. definitely lunch pail. Yeah. We were definitely lunch, lunch pail mentality. But, um, you know, if we wanted to, we could have had sushi. <laughs> right, right. Um, but, uh, yeah, but... Uh, yeah, for... I mean, I'm talking for, MacArthur. Right? For, for me, it's like I always no. looked at lacrosse like... I basically played football in the lacrosse field, right? So, Jake, I mean, you're asking, you're asking, you know, how I played. To give you an idea, so like when I was a freshman, um, I played lacrosse for a few years at that point, and uh, I was switched from defense to midi, right? So I played midi seventh grade, defense eighth grade, and before I even got to play varsity, the varsity coach switched me to midfield because he never even seen me play, but you know, he knew I was an athlete and wanted athletes at midi. So freshman year, I played midfield, and uh, I knocked more guys out than I had goals, right? My nickname was the scoreless wonder, right? And so just understanding my weaknesses, right? You know, being self-aware as an athlete, really important, right? And uh, I just knew there was no shot I was ever making varsity or, you know, going on to play in college if I was a midfielder, right? There was just, there wasn't enough time to, to play catch up. And so that summer I went to Rutgers lacrosse camp and uh, had the opportunity thanks to an injury. Like, so, you know, we had two defensemen on a team, one guy gets injured and uh, you know, I wound up getting MVP at the camp and uh, all the coaches went up to my high school coach. There were a lot of Long Island coaches there and said, like, you're crazy if you don't let this guy play uh, defense. And then, uh, you know, with that, my coach said, all right, great. For box, you know, playing out in the winter on the tennis courts, you can bring both sticks out. And I just left the shorty in the locker, never, ever broke it out again. And then got to play, uh, got to play in one practice as my coach was on a rampage and he'd thrown seven long sticks off the field. I got in there as like the eighth guy on a clearing drill. Everyone else had dropped the ball. They just never threw me the pass. And I started for three years. That's it. I just... <laughs> I mean, like, some of it's like you create your own luck, and sometimes you're really just lucky. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I played uh, – I basically played like a safety, right? So all the big hits that are illegal now, like, that's, that's, that's how I made a living. So, Peter, um, that actually – you know, that mentality that you talked about, you know, let's, let's kind of transition. You know, obviously, I spent some time talking to you. You have a pretty interesting um, kind of roller coaster – that went from being, you know, one of the top defensemen in the country, All-American, to then, you know, essentially being a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a weird situation at a bar in Chapel Hill, probably with that mentality that you just talked about. Can you kind of walk us through a little bit of that, that experience and, and, and what happened? Sure. So 
you know, I, like we talked about with, with the family, I mean, there was, uh, there are plenty of scuffles and, um, you know, physicality in the family and beyond. And, you know, I was in my share of uh, fights as a kid. And, um, you know, this is now my senior year in college. And I, I mean, at that point, you know, whether it was academically or, um, you know, just personally, I think I had matured a lot. And uh, there just happened to be an instance at the bar where uh, my uh, best friend, Merrill Turnbull's dad, uh, Jim Turnbull, coach at Yorktown, um, legendary coach, uh, but his, his, uh, his oldest daughter, who I think at the time was 28 or so, like she was just, you know, getting groped on the dance floor. And, uh, you know, long story short, rather than put myself in another situation where something bad could happen, or, you know, to my friend who wanted to go over and boon the guy, I kind of just went over to dance in between and passively stop what was happening. Um, and I turned into a 30 second scuffle, which arguably the other guy was getting the worst of, um, in spite of the size difference. Uh, and he ran off. And uh, in that 30 seconds, you know, a lot, a lot happened, a lot changed. And, uh, you know, as he ran off, his shirt stayed in my hand and what was, you know, basically a death grip. And uh, I looked down after uh, my buddy said, like, you know, let's get to the other side of the bar, you know, basically just because a scuffle had happened. And uh, I looked down, I was holding my intestines in my hand. And for me, like at that point, I went into shock. So, you know, the rest is people telling me what happened. But, you know, basically 30 minutes, 30 minutes or, you know, a half inch the wrong way. and. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm dead. Right. And so that unfortunately is how I ended my college career. Right? So the guy, the guy ended up stabbing you when, when you guys were there, right? What did he stab? Yeah, so it, was a, it was a 30, it was a 30 second fight and he was like, you know, six, four, six, five. So I was looking up the whole time and that 30 seconds and, um, and in that 30 seconds, he popped a spider knife out of his uh, boot and, uh, and, and gutted me. Right, so like stabbed me a few times and um, enough to open the uh, stomach wall and the intestines come out and everything. Just, you know, like you're watching a gory movie. And your adrenaline was pumping so much you could not feel him, feel him stabbing you. Yeah, so I didn't, see, I didn't see it, I didn't feel it. And um, actually when my buddy uh, Merrill's like, let's get to the other side of the dance floor, I said like, I don't feel good. And then I looked down and I saw why. Um, and then, you know, that was, uh, that was it. I mean, for, you know, I was in shock at that point and transported to the hospital. And I was lucky that I had some uh, med students on the dance floor, kind of uh, helped stop the bleeding a bit. And, uh, you know, that was the, oddly enough, that was the, uh, it was the first, probably the first healthy game that I'd played my senior year, right? And I just remember like feeling absolutely off the charts so great game versus uh delaware you know went one and two it doesn't grind balls like you know it was a good last game um but it was tough to it was tough to end your season and career like that so for the for the kids who are going through you know covid right now not getting a shot to you know finish what they started like i mean i get that right there's a but it's also probably one of the reasons I enjoy coaching so much. So how long were you, were you in the hospital after this, this happened? 
So I think it was 10 days in the hospital. Um, and then uh, I was probably cleared. I think I was cleared to start jogging. It was, you know, the week of basically the weekend of 4th of July, right? So I was supposed to play in the Vail tournament um, and uh, wasn't going to be able to play with Team Toyota, which was, you know, I was like the young guy on some legendary team. Um, but, you know, things happened, for, uh, things happened for a reason sometimes. It was great. I played for weighing 135 pounds, still had a hole in my stomach and was uh, just cleared to start jogging. I went out and I played in the uh, Vail tournament <clears throat> with uh, the Bay Alarm lacrosse team. And uh, they, they were a little less serious on the field, I guess you could say that. Um, but it was, you know, fast forward years later, I moved from New York to Chicago and um, the goalie from that team was living here. He works with my wife. Um, so he was the introduction. And so, you know, long story short, if I don't get stabbed, I don't play on the Bay Alarm team. I don't meet <laughs> Matt Weiss. Matt Weiss doesn't introduce me to my wife and I'm not, you know, happily married with three kids. <laughs> That's a big uh, perspective, yeah. Yeah, but it's- uh, 15 years to get that perspective? What? <laughs> Yeah, no, you know what? I mean, like, listen, if I could go back and change it, I wouldn't, right? Yeah. And, you know, I say that having, I've had 20 surgeries since college, um, you know, eight of them stomach related and, you know, others sports related. And, um, you know, but the thing is, it's like, you know, there's, there's a lot of truth to whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And, you know, physically, there's not much you know, unless I'm captured and tortured for doing something, there's really not much more in terms of pain, in terms of developing a threshold that, that you know, is really going to touch me at any point in my life. And it gives you great, and it gives you great perspective on what's important, right? How hard to work. And uh, for me, frankly, you know, I look at, I look at quarantine, for example, right? Like, I look at, I get surgery. Three months, you're not going to be able to do anything. Just yeah. deal with it right yeah. deal with it get stronger do whatever you can to get better in those three months and then you know then you'll be back on the field you hate right. to say it's a cliche but can control what you can control yeah no it's a hundred it's one of the it's one of the main reasons i think i focus on inputs not outputs as a coach right it's you know, the one thing i knew i could control for example was getting to a point where i basically passed gas right you couldn't eat until you and when you had a surgery, you couldn't eat until you passed gas. So only way you could get, you know, do anything to help out there was to walk, right? So I've walked the equivalent of a marathon with no shoes in a hospital, right? Wow. And, you know, I've gotten released after surgeries, you know, two, three days earlier, just because I worked at it, right? And, and uh, you know, that's, you know, that's stuff that stays with you. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, it's uh, interesting. I mean, what you were telling me, and you touched on it, playing in the Vail tournament was almost like your end goal of finally being able to get out, play lacrosse, and go do it. You know, you talk, you hear a lot of people, you know, inspirational stories, whether it's books or motivational speakers, you know, they always kind of talk about like, okay, like, you know, they set a date, a goal, something they want to do that is just like driving them. Like, I got to get back out there. And it's interesting when to hear you talk about like the Vail tournament, how that was like, kind of, you felt like a normal lacrosse player again, essentially. Yeah. It's, I mean, so there's a lot of truth to that. And I think the sense of normalcy is 
is really important to me. For me, you know, I actually, I mean, I went to a psychiatrist, right? Because, you know, I, I clearly was, you know, broken to a degree. I mean, I went to, so the first weekend I was out of the hospital, um, first week, I should say, I went to, I went back to the bar, you know, not to go out socially or go drinking or anything, but I went for 45 minutes and then I came home. Um, and for me, it was just a mental thing, right? Just not letting something dictate your life. And, uh, you know, of course, on the way home, there was, you know, three college kids looking to start trouble. And uh, it was probably the first time in my life that I ever didn't have confidence, right? Like, um, and for me, that was scary, right? And so then I had to work to get that confidence back and, you know, become the person that, you know, that I was, right? And for me, you know, that took going to a shrink, right? And then it, you know, took things um, to return to normalcy, like going out and playing in the Vail tournament, right? Even though I couldn't run up and down the field, like I could go one way, right? And, you know, so I play long stick attack after I bring it up. Um, but that was, you know, for me, that was an important mental hurdle. Right. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's, I think you, you told me and Mike that story a while ago. And I still like think about it. And it's like, you know, especially when you're a young kid and they, these kids do so many things that you're like shaking your head at. You're like, you, you don't know when that one thing is going to be life altering. You know? Yeah. And so I think that's, I think one of the biggest takeaways from, from this is right. Like I put myself in so many bad situations, right. It's a numbers game, right. It's yeah. just like anything else in life. And um, you know, you put yourself in enough bad situations, like something bad's going to happen. Right. And it doesn't matter whether I was doing the right thing at that time. Right. It just, it's, it's a numbers game. And, uh, you know, the guy that, the guy that, um, you know, stabbed me, like he wasn't a good guy. He was a bail bondsman and got convicted of other crimes off of matching the bloody, you know, fingerprint. Right. I mean, he, he was not a good person. Um, and I wasn't doing the wrong thing. So they caught the guy? They, yeah, they caught him and they caught him running away. Oh, geez. So yeah. he's got to like still be in jail, right? For me, again, another big, uh, probably big takeaway and lesson is, you know, don't focus on what you can't control. Yeah. And so for me, he was facing 38 months instead of attempted murder. He's charged with a assault uh, with a deadly weapon. And, uh, you know, he had some other charges pending. He had wound up pleading guilty to, um, you know, to what he, you know, did to me, but, Frankly, I just, I wash my hands of it, right? There is, uh, there is no reason to ever, you know, focus on that. There's like, there was nothing positive that was ever going to come from it. Nope. Nope. Well, um, that's all I had right now. I don't know, Mike, if you had any other questions. I mean, we've been on for a while, so. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, obviously, Peter, I appreciate you telling the story. Obviously, um, you know, I don't know, just any, any last words about like, I don't know, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, like LC says, some kids take it for granted. Some kids are, are struggling right now, especially if we're dealing with the COVID and, you know, you know, people like yourself have dealt with like, you know, bigger, like life threatening issues at times. And it's kind of like, you know, sometimes people need to put things in perspective and just kind of think about like, Hey, you know what, things aren't that bad right now. And like you said earlier, we'll, we'll all get through it. This is just like an injury, you know, any, any last words about that? Yeah, I think, um, you know, 
I think I think you do need to keep perspective. Unfortunately, for the you know a lot of the kids we coach, they don't have that perspective, right? They um, either they're fortunate enough to be well off, they might have you know a strong family, uh, they just don't have the years, they don't have the, thankfully don't have the hardships, um, you know. So you don't gain that perspective until you have the years of experience, and that's why um, you know I think it's important to learn from you know learn from your coaches, learn from your teachers, learn from your parents. Um, and, uh, one of the best ways to, to do, you know, to do that without, you know, talking to anyone is reading, right? There's, so, there are so many books out there where if you read the books, um, like we just, like, we just had a great, like leadership and, uh, coaching book list that we were circulating and, you know, a lot of them were just inspiring and motivating and you, you know, while you don't have the experiences as, as a younger kid, you can certainly read about what it was like for someone else and you figure, you know, if you can look at any situation and say, this is nothing relative to someone else's life, right? And if you could do that, it really helps you get through a lot of, uh, a lot of tougher times. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well you sir. know, like you were saying, Peter, we really appreciate you coming on and, and, you know, chatting, talking lacrosse. You know, obviously we went down our list of uh, top defensemen in the country and, and uh, you know, hearing your story. So um, it's great that uh, you, we were able to share some time with you hear all about it so thank you well uh, th thanks for having me for my uh first ever podcast yeah 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 you, you got to get a mic now if you get a mic you're a real podcaster <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of like hello hello yeah yeah i could put the headphones on too and really get into it but i'm not gonna cross that bridge yet but yeah right. so peter thank you a lot and uh we'll be signing off now so we'll catch all you guys right i'll see you. mike have a good weekend all right you too thanks yeah.